This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Man Cave here at Command Center in the Melton Law Studio. Uh, 3-5-2-3-2-5-3-9-3-8. And uh, we're here on a pleasant day, pleasant morning. Of quite a number of deer out in the pasture this morning. Uh, a buck and a doe and the babies and a whole bunch of things going on here. So um, look like we're getting a little warming spell and we'll be going around today uncovering all that which we protected for our unseasonably cold weather here which is rather normal and typical for where Plantation Mark is. Um, you know, we're going to have Coach Hogg's li- uh, locker room. I don't know if we ran that or not, but um, uh, I'm getting a nod from production that we did. And uh, uh, I'm going to go into some things in sports that were really, I titled, in fact, I titled today's show uh, The Thrilling Weekend because it was quite a thrilling weekend if you're a sports enthusiast on a number of fronts. Um, we also uh, want to thank all our sponsors and donors, and I'm going to give you a little discussion here in a little bit about where we stand with censorship on this show and what the social media platforms are doing to me. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. It's uh, really, unless you were in my shoes, you wouldn't know this was happening. So um, um, the average American walking down the road has no idea that this is happening. So um, uh, we're going to try to make a, a system work that they can't, tinker with. It's not uh, necessarily so because, um, you know, uh, there are many platforms out there, but uh, I think what may happen in the country is there'll be some uh, open up that will actually allow freedom of speech, if you will, and will not uh, shut you down if you don't agree with the uh, compelling narrative that we're going to go into today uh, and uh, give you a little more education on. Um, The thing that I want to talk about a little bit more right now is one of the big thrilling aspects of this uh, culture here locally for us is the rise in influence and uh, uh, attractiveness and enthusiasm for Lady Gators basketball. Uh, Lady Gators basketball uh, played the number one basketball, Lady uh, Lady basketball team in the nation this Sunday, yesterday. Uh, That's South Carolina. And it was an exciting, exciting game. And I want to comment a little bit on what I learned from it and I want to also remind you that all coaching is teaching. Um, it's all about teaching, and it's all about teaching young people certain lessons. And the one that was very obvious to us was that um, uh, the lady who coaches the South Carolina team has had 15, uh, maybe even 19 years to build her brand. Now, that's a long, long time uh, to get a reputation that you are competitive year in and year out, and that players will seek you out rather than um, you seek them out. It's sort of like talk shows. Uh, there's a lot of people right now who 
listen to me on the radio don't know how to find me right now. I don't know what to do about that. Um, you know, maybe I have a billboard, uh, you know, all these expensive things. But there's a lot of people that follow me that would follow me just about anywhere if they knew where I was. Now, with uh, 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 South Carolina, South Carolina ladies basketball hasn't moved. And so the lady there has become an, an attractive source for outstanding athletes. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about what kind of athlete you're now going to see when you go to Lady Gators basketball. That's kind of funny to me because when I was in high school, we had we had lady um, basketball, but the women were considered to be rather weak compared to men then. And the women were only allowed those who played defense to defend on one end of the court against the offensive of the other team that stayed on that end of the court. And then they would whoever, let's say our defense got the ball, we would take it to the half court line. And we would give it to our offense on the other side of the half court line. And our offense would then be defended by their defense. But the two never mixed. Uh, one side of the court never came to the other side of the court because after all, that would involve running the length of the court. And running the length of the court was considered to be too arduous for the female. And um, the, the image of the female then was in many ways, you know, uh, a minority that could be uh, uh, needed, uh, needed to be protected and therefore needed special arrangements for the game, uh, much like affirmative action is now for, for race. And uh, so, so uh, now we have a, a, a completely different thing. If you go look at these young ladies run this court, man alive, can, they, they, um, they run as fast as the NBA. I just want to give you the lineup for South Carolina. Uh, their big star was a lady named Aliyah Boston, 6'5". She's a junior. She's from... The Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, this woman was remarkable. She could dribble a ball the length of the court. Of course, she could out-rebound. She also could shoot out from perimeter. And she was the difference in the game. Had she not been in the game, um, I think Florida very well could have at least um, maybe beaten uh, South Carolina, but would have been very close to them all along the way. Uh, we have tall people, but this 6'5 lady, is remarkable. She's just a junior. If she's still there uh, next year and South Carolina comes, you need to go see her. In addition to her, they have a lady named Camilla Cadorsco, who is six foot seven from Monte Carlo, Monte Claros, Brazil. South Carolina also has a, a young lady from Ontario who's six foot four. Um, the six foot seven girl is a sophomore. The six foot four girl is a junior as is the six foot five girl. So that's what we're looking at in ladies basketball now. Comparatively for us, uh, we have uh, really, our strength is our guards. We have fantastic guards. Zippy Broughton uh, and Kiara Smith are really outstanding guards. Uh, Clara Smith is 5'10", uh, Zippy Broughton is 5'7". She's from Alabama and uh, Kiara Smith is from Maryland. So we also have some tall ladies. And they're good. Six foot four sophomore. Uh, and we have a six foot four junior. Uh, and uh, we have a six two uh, freshman. But, you know, um, that's that's a little bit different. And the South Carolina team is having this 19 year advantage in building its brand. If you want to measure it in inches, is just a little bit taller and has a little bit head start. But I got to tell you something. This is a very dynamic coach here right now has the interim adjective in front of coach. We're hoping that's removed. And the thing that I learned from watching uh, her 
and reading about her today, and this is a very good quote by her. I want to uh, listen. I've been in many locker rooms, and I've heard many, many slogans about how important a sport is to a player's life off the uh, court or off the field. I've heard it all. How you'll do in, on this field is how you'll do in life, and the crooked river gets that way by the path of least resistance, and when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I don't know of a locker room that doesn't have this kind of stuff all over the wall, and the coaches don't preach it all the time. Uh, I don't know of one who doesn't. You know, it's just some form of it. But this is a, a most interesting uh, form of it that uh, our coach uh, uh, has has uh, uh, has come up with. Maybe it wasn't original with this coach because I know this coach's father was, was also a coach, a uh, great coach, as I understand it, in Minnesota. So um, this coach Finley that we have now, the minimum coach, but the girls seem to love her and play really hard for her. What's the secret to that? Well, uh, she as in, she has. I think the quote that tells you what the secret is comes from um, uh, our, our 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 player, who is one of our leaders here uh, from uh, from Smith, who says that uh, uh, it's finally stuck with the team. She said what the coach has been teaching us that there is a difference between losing and being defeated. And you don't lose. You, you, you can get defeated, but you're not losers. You just didn't have the, quite the stuff you needed. In this case, we didn't have quite the girl we needed down low that was 6'5". That is going to be you know, an All-American. There's no question about it. Everybody can recognize her skill. And in fact, uh, we our coach admits that uh, Eli Boston's a very talented player. And uh, we, we, if we could limit her, then it would be uh, and, and much, much closer. And in fact, it was uh, Florida dominated the third quarter. It just it couldn't hit the shots in the first half. But so, and they sort of took uh, the tall girl out of the game. But the big thing to take away from this is that there's a difference between losing and being defeated. The, the uh, Lady Gators were defeated, but they were not losers. They are they are played their hard, and they're going to learn from this, and they're going to play hard right down the very end. And uh, it's just that we just couldn't stop Boston. I don't know anybody who can. Uh, we'll see how that team plays. Uh, maybe uh, Connecticut and some teams like that are very good. And I suspect they're going to hold their own, maybe beat them. After all, they are number one in the nation. Uh, that was a thrilling, thrilling game. Um, and uh, but, the, but what's the big tall girl advantage there for South Carolina? They were able to control the boards. Um, so... Try to catch them. I think they have three games left at home. It's a, a most incredible deal. Uh, for five bucks, you can go in and sit pretty much anywhere. There are some uh, a few reserve seats, and but not to not to speak of anything. You can go in and sit pretty in, anywhere you want to, and and uh, uh, essentially, and for five dollars, and and it's just a great experience to see uh, for for your children, especially if they want to see something done first rate with people playing as hard as they can play that they can then. The, the, the father and sitting in front of me had two daughters he brought with him, both of whom are young basketball players. He brought them to uh, the, the, the uh, uh, game to learn to watch the Gators. Uh, the final score was, I've been asked that question by Ken Hillier, 62-50, uh, which is just um, really almost a 10-point difference when you consider uh, how many uh, – uh, at, uh, the, at, the, at the halftime, they – uh, South Carolina took a 20-point advantage into the halftime locker room and that the Gators shut that. And there was very good chance right at the end that the Gators would drop it below 10-point di difference. 
Now, I'm telling you, to play that team and almost have less than a 10-point difference uh, between you and them is quite remarkable when you're playing a team that's got a 19-year head start on you, if you will, in its stability of, of, of branding and, and, and it can attract these players from all over the place. Uh, but I think we're – I hope we stay with uh, our coach because you'll, you'll see us get there. Um, and it's exciting. Um, it's a very good crowd, very loud crowd, and it was A-team cheerleaders and everything else out there. So it was doing good. The other thing that was really uh, eventful, if you're a, a great sports fan, is to watch the Australian Open, which is rather miraculous that it's occurred given all the COVID controversy and all the way in which the COVID has affected sports, particularly it's affected tennis. And you know that the big big story has been uh, that uh, uh, Novak Djokovic was uh, was excluded from it because he refused to get vaccinated. And in Australia, that's just you're not going to do that and be involved in their in their uh, country in sports. And also, the tennis association has taken the same position. Uh, these people travel all over the world. Uh, they travel by plane. They you know and they in this hotel, that hotel, and so. Um, the the uh, position that's been taken with that sport is that thou shall be vaccinated or you won't play. And it's the same position that's been taken by the NFL, as I understand it. And uh, we're going to get into the statistical data on that again uh, with an, yet another COVID update, which I seem to reserve uh, for a place on our topic list, each, each class students, for a COVID update because there is more data coming in now uh, from uh, that's being made available because we're getting some experience now under our, under our belt with this, uh, with this virus. So Nadal, I, ha I have to tell you, in watching it, I, I thought um, Mendeleev was going to do it, the Russian player. He beat Nadal in the first two sets, but it was, and he was wearing Nadal, and, and this, this is where I made a mistake. I thought he was wearing Nadal down. Nadal has the heart of a lion. He is absolutely as tough as grit. He just never quits. He's a tremendous inspiration. He's 35 years old now. He's been doing this since he was 19 or 20 years old. He's had injuries. He's had um, time off from the courts. He's been uh, knee trouble, back trouble. Um, he, he missed a lot of his 20s and his 30s because of injuries. But every time he's rallied back to a championship, he's very stubborn uh, physically. And his heart is really is what keeps him going. He has an indefatigable indefatigable heart um he was able to win this marathon contest which took over five hours can you imagine hitting sometimes 40 shots uh, between you and your opponent uh, on just one point and you do that for over five hours and the court they have to come out and dry the court off from where one of the players is sweating so much which he sweats a lot uh is soaking the court with his own sweat and, and, and uh, this is going on in heat, even in the evening in Australia. And these guys are out there with uh, staggering each other with these tremendous shots and blows. Uh, five hours and 24 minutes it took for these two fellas to decide who the winner was. And if it were not for Nadal's tenacity, he rallied from two sets down. He had a, uh, and, and, you know, nobody would give him that, you know, give him that chance unless you really understood what this guy is made of. Uh, and, uh, and, and I suppose he surprised himself because he considered himself to be even be lucky to even be in the tournament since it was a, a, a situation where, you know, given COVID and given his injuries, he didn't know if he'd be there. Um, 
But uh, you know, Mendel ever be back? He's he's a dynamic. He's six foot six. Um, he is um, tena very tenacious. He doesn't um, panic. He doesn't. Uh, uh, but he really Nadal. This uh, much of much of the game is mental. When you meet two people like this, evenly matched physically, and Sandal began to employ a shot that is really underutilized since we're not serving and volleying so much anymore. The players are standing back at the baseline taking a shot. Um, Nadal began to use the drop shot. And um, that really is something. If you see your opponent receiving your ground strokes from behind the baseline, then you've got a pretty good shot. I mean, a pretty good chance if you can deliver an effective drop shot. It's very difficult to deliver an effective drop shot because if you're not careful, it will sit up too long and your opponent will rush up and, uh, and pound it and win that point. But he has developed, Nadal, as he's gotten older, he didn't have this drop shot in his repertoire when he was younger. But being older, he's become wiser. He's learned how to use angles more on the court and to also use this really uh, drop shot technique, which is, um, is really a sudden uh, change in the, in the uh, power of the strokes. And it catches your opponent off guard. Now, Mendelev's only 25 years old. He's 10 years younger. And yet he succumbed to the 35-year-old man. Um, and he had a 2-0 lead, which he gave up. Um, you know, Nadal, he didn't give it up. Nadal took it away. So right now, though, uh, men's tennis is going to be in a flux since Federer uh, is on the sideline. And Federer is 40 years old. And the question is, will he come back? Uh, he's considered the greatest of all time right now. But you got to consider uh, Nadal right in there with him. And uh, Federer has been on the sideline because of knee injury. And age, and of course, Djokovic, through his own choice, has removed himself. He lost 2,000 points, I'm told, by not being there in this tournament. That's going to be difficult to really make up. And he may not be allowed into France for the French Open because right now, France is also having the very stringent COVID uh, uh, responses and is banning anybody who's not vaccinated. So uh, uh, we, we just don't, we don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, nothing in tennis lasts forever. People get older and they, it is, they, your body just can't do it. You can slip over into doubles maybe a little bit and play a little longer. But this world of singles tennis uh, up against these greats uh, is really fantastic. Now, the thing that I'm talking about really that underpins the greatness of the tennis show underpins also the greatness of the NFL. If you take a look at the quality of the NFL, and I was talking to some former players about this yesterday after these great league games who came down to just a, a field goal difference in many instances changed the outcome of the, of the, uh, of the game. Um, they are so well conditioned and they're so well uh, trained and, and, and every aspect of taking care of their body, which they're going to beat the heck out of in this sport, um, uh, you know, with uh, uh, psychological angles and dietary angles and, 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 and strength and flexibility. Uh, they're not just walking out there anymore. They are finely tuning like ballet dancers. You hear us talk about the, uh, the tremendous uh, exercise that it takes and preparation it takes for the ballet dancers to be able to perform. The same is going in now to the preparation of these football athletes. They're not just walking out there, big lumbering guys who happen to have been born big. Uh, they're going out there having trained and worked on their particular skill set. And um, the, the quality of the, of the sport is so high right now that, and, and fortunately, they've seemed to have dumped this protest uh, 
social protest. They realized it was not going to help their league flourish. Um, so the, the games this weekend uh, were uh, really remarkable to watch. And I have always been a high fan of Joe Burrow, uh, who took the LSU team to a national championship. And I'm going to bet that he will take the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl championship. Now, that's a mouthful. I know that. I goes out on a limb. But I like Joe Burrow. I think the guy has always been a fantastic talent, um, one of the best I've seen come along in, in the NFL. And, and uh, he has got the skill set and the calmness. And the Bengals have surrounded him with excellence. See, once you've got a, a magnet like that, then others will come. Just like I was talking a moment ago about the six foot five girl from South Carolina. Once you've got a player like that, the others will come because she will make them better. And uh, that's that's what you really want. You want that player that everybody else wants to play up to, to be around and help and and and, and realize that guy's that good. I got to get better myself to be able to even be picked by him to be on the field or on the court. And that's what's going on uh, with the NFL right now with Burrow. Um, through some wise draft selections, some motivation by these guys who want to be with him. And they believe it's all about belief. And they believe they can win. They believe they can go down the field and compete right up to the very final seconds. And these games are coming down to the very final seconds. Um, it is really uh, quite uh, thrilling to see. So I've called this show this day the thrilling weekend. Um, I want to also talk a moment on a on, on a, a, a one last sad note about uh, football. Clinton Portis has now got his uh, uh, federal inmate number. He will be reporting to federal prison uh, on I got uh, uh, his uh, his uh, report papers here on March 8th. Clinton Portis was, you know, went to Gainesville High and then went to Miami and then went to the Washington team, which was the Redskins and had a forty five million dollar contract and essentially gambled it away in Las Vegas and did some other things, defrauded the healthcare system of the NFL, if I remember correctly. And, um, and, and, and along with some other guys and is actually going to do federal prison time. He's 40 years old and uh, he is really the, the sad side of some of these things that can happen when you take a kid who really has had perhaps nothing as maybe he hasn't uh, and give him a dizzying amount of numbers and dollars all of a sudden and then ask him to be responsible for that. And then also you have to realize as soon as that happens, you have friends you didn't know you had, you have relatives you didn't know you had, and they all want to quote unquote, wink, wink, help you, but they all want a piece of the action and you got to watch them and they all got a pie in the sky. Let's take it, make it even richer. And they'll try to take some of your money. Uh, this has happened around here to a number of Florida players. I want to get into that story. Um, but it, it happened. It happened to Fred Taylor. Uh, uh, somebody took him uh, for his. It's, it's a sad story. So there's a management issue of your life on and off the field involved in this kind of wealth as well. And Clinton Portis didn't do it uh, to the federal government's satisfaction. So he will be uh, checking into custody with the federal inmate process on March 8th. Um, sad story. A lot of local people here know him. Uh, he had a house out here on Monioka Road. It was purple after the uh, colors of the high school team he played for, which were purple and white. Um, there's a, one more story I want to uh, share with you during Coach Hogg's locker room here um, about baseball. And, you know, baseball has a Hall of Fame. And uh, this is written by Faye Vincent, who was at one point uh, um, 
the commissioner of baseball from 1989 to 92. And he's written this and, and uh, uh, article about the uh, uh, standard, they have a, a character standard for baseball's Hall of Fame. And right now he says that uh, the players union and the owners are in a, in a bitter uh, dispute uh, and um, the, the owners having locked out the players uh, so that the opening schedule, as I understand it, as Vincent presents it, uh, for the season in April is in jeopardy right now. Um, and uh, it's all about uh, whatever is uh, the nitty gritty between the baseball union and the owners. And and uh, for a while, you know, if, if there wasn't a baseball union, when the owners owned your lock, stock and barrel, and if you challenged them, they could not hire you back. And and uh, but we're not talking about that particular phase of it. Now we're talking about an extension of that in this particular article, which is the Baseball Hall of Fame, the National Hall of Fame. Now, uh, they've just recently uh, decided that they're not going to put Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in it. He needed 75% of the votes by the Baseball Writers Association of America, and they're in their final year of their 10-year eligibility. But the problem with them in terms of the character standard is that they are uh, steroid users, even though it's never been uh, in, uh, you know, absolutely proven that. Uh, they've denied it and this and that way and another. We'll get into that in a moment. But uh, uh, they, they, uh, 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 the, the Vincent says that the, the uh, criteria now to get in the Hall of Fame are integrity, sportsmanship, and character, uh, in addition to the on-field performances. And that Bonds and Clemens uh, are flunking the character test by allegations that they use these performance-enhancing drugs, even though neither one of them ever tested positive or has admitted he used these things uh, and have survived legal challenges. Uh, it doesn't matter, it's uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, so the Baseball Writers Association is not gonna dump them into the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's very difficult to get into once you've been uh, 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 signaled out as suspicious of steroid use. Um, steroid use is uh, uh, pretty much um, resulted in using very specific testings in all the sports for any kind of steroid advantage. So, uh, you know, you've got guys that, that have really been heavily used or users of it in the National Football League and, and, and have died. I mean, they, they just died early lives, but they didn't mind using the steroid heavily during the, uh, and the guy that I'm thinking of, I can't think of right now, who talked about it, said over, when, before he died, he said he wouldn't do it, he had to do it over again, but he wouldn't have played if he because he wasn't really big enough to do it unless he enhanced his growth somehow. So the big thing is that uh, Vincent says that the Hall of Fame must uh, acknowledge the difference between steroid use and gambling. And he says that the, mo the worst of all the sins in terms of character, and this is really the reason they'll never put Pete Rose back into the Hall of Fame, is, uh, is gambling. He says that gambling almost destroyed baseball in 1919, and it's an, it's an open door for corruption. And uh, it's, uh, um, you know, betting on sports is a very difficult thing to, to, uh, to police because, you know, somebody can say, well, this and that one and another, I think we're going to do okay. So-and-so's in, so-and-so's out. You kind of give professional kinds of tips to people, even your family. But uh, the big one, of course, that brought this up was Pete Rose, who bet on professional baseball games. I think he even bet on his own team. And... Uh, um, so um, this Faye Vincent entered into us when he was commissioner. He entered into an agreement with Rose that banned him from baseball 
and made him ineligible for the Hall of Fame induction. Uh, but meanwhile, Vincent says the players who violated federal laws are still eligible. So um, he's all for dropping uh, the, the character standard. Uh, he thinks it's hopelessly vague. Uh, there's something called uh, the Eras Committee. Uh, he says that should be dropped to reinforce the writer's voting decisions. Uh, Eras Committee is a ERA, ERA, E-R-A-S, is a committee that can be appealed to. Um, so that's just something to throw out there for you. A lot of people uh, don't understand, um, perhaps they're not up, up to snuff on <clears throat> what's going on with the Hall of Fames. But uh, uh, that one is um, is up in the air. And baseball season opening, as I understand it, is up in the air coming up in the fall. So um, uh, and he's been asked repeatedly about uh, 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 the, the new football coach. I can't give you an opinion about him, don't think about him. Um, I just know that the gold standard around here is Steve Spurrier. And if, the, if you can't measure up to Steve Spurrier, which is almost impossible to do, then you're not going to be successful around here for the long-term Gator fan. That's the one we hold up as a gold standard for the guy who got the most done, uh, who was the most uh, honest and truthful and, and uh, frank, almost to a fall. They jumped on him for some of his sort of called uh, political incorrect. And it really wasn't political incorrectness, but it was uh, some comments he made, you know, about free shoes you and all that. But that's, that's Steve. He's not going to change. That's the way he is. And he means it and, and becomes a motivating factor. So, uh, uh, you know, until we get a guy who measured up to that, and I don't know if this new guy is that or not. But right now I'm touting the Lady Gators. They got basketball team. They got three games left and they're darn sure worth going out and take a look at. We're going to take a break now. I'm going to get into some more things here. And I'm going to explain to you where we are with censorship in this show. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. So um, please uh, stay tuned. <clears throat> this is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octon, octon. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Much schnell. At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help!
Well, I'll be darn here. I got a production guy that's telling me back on right now, and I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't get a shot. So you may have caught me over sleeping or napping at halftime. Uh, beatings will continue until the morale improves. Okay. I want to um, also uh, give you a little heads up here on my weekly update. I guess it's not even weekly. It's almost daily now. Quite quickly on the uh, uh, COVID world. And uh, the latest data has come out from the CDC, which New York Times has published. And you always got to kind of take a look at New York Times, consider the source. But I'm going to spread, uh, pass this along to you, and uh, you can put this in, uh, in your file, all the things you hear uh, about uh, uh, COVID, because um, it has affected sports, it has affected business, it has affected education. And so in my cons um, constant kind of search for uh, somewhere in here among all this is something that uh, approaches what is actually going on, I guess, with it. But um, this is from only from October to November of 2021. So this is behind a couple of months. But um, the, uh, 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 the, the data is in and they've taken a look at that. And we're going to get more and more data. And so I'll, I'll pass it along to you and, as I get it because I'm trying to understand it, too. Um, the, um, the average weekly chance that a boosted person died of COVID was about one in a million during October and November. Um, the, uh, the data underscores the power of the COVID vaccines, uh, uh, but they're, they're, they fade. So the uh, booster is tremendously important. And when that boost, once you get boosted with the booster, your risk of getting severely ill from COVID is very, very minuscule. It, unless you are older or have some serious health problems that enter into it. So once you have been boosted, the uh, average daily, the average weekly chance that a boosted person who had both vaccines died of COVID was about one in a million. And that was the most recent available CDC data. Um, now the Omicron maybe has made the chance a little bit higher, uh, but the Omicron is much more mild. And uh, it seems now that the CDC is going with until the Omicron data comes in, one in a million per week uh, with boosted. Um, but the risk, of course, is not zero. Um, and, and compared to the chances that you'll die in a car wreck, uh, your chances that you'll die in a car wreck are about 2.4 per million. Uh, remember that your chance of dying from uh, 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 COVID fully vaccinated and boosted is about one. Uh, in a million, and your average um, um, a weekly death rate from influenza and pneumonia is about three million. So with a booster shot, uh, it becomes a kind of respiratory illness uh, that's been around for a number of years. For the unvaccinated, of course, uh, you run the risk uh, of, of, of serious consequences. Now, the va there's vaccine skepticism. This report understands, <coughs> and there are two main forms of it. And we've covered this before. Uh, the uh, Republicans uh, are skeptical of the vaccine because they feel it's misinformation coming from the government. So the conservative media figures, I don't even know that there are any conservative media figures, uh, 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 convince people to remain unvaccinated according to the Times and according to the interpretation of CDC. Um, there are more, un un although uh, there, the data shows there are more unvaccinated Republican adults then there are boosted Republican adults. Um, so uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, 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 vaccine experts at, uh, at Baylor College of Medicine uh, estimate that in the second half of last year, 200,000 Americans 
uh, needlessly lost their lives because they refused the vaccine. I'll let you put that in your notes and see what you want to do with it. It's very unlikely that young children uh, will get very sick from Omicron or uh, the, the COVID. Very unlikely. Uh, most Democrats are uh, not skeptical about getting a shot, but they are skeptical that the shot will protect them. About 41 percent of Democratic voters say they're worried about getting seriously sick. Uh, and the young Democrats are more worried than the old Democrats uh, uh, that are worried about it. So there you are. Um, that is, it is a, a kind of politicized issue. Uh, let me see. We got we got a lot of stats here. Uh, how worried are you? You come sick, um, and that's all out in the CDC report. Uh, so it seems that uh, um, uh, if you're fully vaccinated and boosted, you're probably pretty safe. <laughs> and that takes up. It doesn't even take up the issue of masks. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, how you would factor that in. I, mean, I pretty much have concluded. I don't see many masks where I go and I go a lot of places and I don't I don't see many. Um, I'm not sure what 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 what's going through the minds of people there. Um, but that, that's that's the way it is, according to the CDC report, which is a couple of months behind. Uh, I do want to go into something that is uh, constantly also on our agenda because people keep making it important, whereas it's really not uh, something that should be. Uh, talked about if you you know I'm I'm going to quote Thomas Sowell if you uh, want racism to go away stop talking about it but you see they don't stop talking about it because it's uh, advantageous to consolidate power but there's somebody who I've always been uh, studying and I, I'd like for you to study as well because I uh, he's he's in part of the Manhattan Institute of research scholars along with um, Heather McDonald and they're the two best I know of uh, uh, Manhattan Institute. And these two scholars, Jason Riley and Heather McDonald, for writing about race in an objective, analytical, scientific way. And um, um, Jason Riley has written that uh, one of the most unreported stories of the Trump presidency is the extent to which black economic fortunes improved under Trump. Now, uh, you have to understand, I'm going to interject right now, that if uh, there is any mention in this uh, article about the election, um, then uh, that word will trigger a censorship on the part of, of uh, well, we're censored right now. We're not on YouTube right now, uh, and that affects us, and uh, we're going to change that. I'm going I'm to try to change that and have a backup system. I can't take this any longer. They, YouTube went back to January 14th show and took it down because it said it violated their community standards. You will not find it. Um, you can find it here on, well, you find it here on Facebook. I want to whisper that. Um, but um, they took it down because he said it violated community standards because it questioned the election. Well, if you go back and listen to the January 14th show, I didn't question the election. Biden questioned the election that hasn't come yet. He questioned the election that's going to be taking place in the fall. And I reported on Biden going to Georgia. That's what that show was about. The last part of it was my report on Biden going to Georgia and showing his derriere by making up things that didn't fact check. And I went into an article by the, the journal and I went into an article by the fact checkers that proved it showed uh, Biden was telling lies and he was challenging an election that hadn't even taken place yet. Well, guess what? YouTube said that that show challenged the election and took it down. So it's not there. They're censoring anything that has to do with the election. Now, it, it's almost over to where they'll censor anything about Trump. 
So I'm going to go through what Jason Riley says about the Trump presidency, and we'll see what it triggers. So uh, Jason Riley says that under Trump, black economic fortunes improved. Okay, students, now you can go out there and now listen, if there's any liberals watching this show, they won't agree with that right away. I mean, they just can't let their ears hear something like that. They'll say Obama is the one to credit for the strengthening economy. Not so, according to Jason Riley. Um, uh, Obama's and Biden's arguments are self-serving, Riley says. There's no evidence to back them up. Um, it is true that uh, 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 some households gained uh, some, some, some financial uh, uh, dollars, but, but that's not where the real growth was. Uh, Trump had inherited, in fact, a U.S. economy that was slowing down and headed into a recession. And, and, and when he got it from, from Obama. And, the, the, and what did he do? Um, he, he urged tax rate uh, reductions. He, Trump did. He, he pushed for tax reforms. Um, he uh, 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 let the jobs and tax cuts. Congress passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts in December of 17. Uh, top corporate rate fell to 21% and 35%. Uh, companies were given an opportunity to repatriate cash that had been held overseas at a tax rate of 15.5, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and Jason Riley says that the economy grew in ways that benefited low-income and middle-class households. And uh, uh, he says because the percentage of blacks who have not completed high school is nearly double that of whites, 15% versus 8%. And the percentage of adults with a bachelor's degree was 35% for whites and only 21% for blacks. And that these, these gaps are reflected in work patterns. So that is the, the, those work patterns, those jobs were made more money under Trump. And uh, therefore, he reduced uh, uh, income inequalities. And by reducing income inequalities, Riley says Trump reduced racial inequality. And, and, and that is a story, again, and I'm, the reason I work this in with the fact that they've censored me for uh, what they think is an election challenge, uh, when it actually is Biden's uh, uh, election challenge, this is another part of the story that's not being allowed to be told. Do you understand what we're saying? There is a story here that you can't tell, okay? You can't tell. And uh, that is going throughout the entire nation. And in, in, you, know, you won't hear many people even touch some of the topics that I touch in the way that I touch. So uh, between 2017, Riley writes, and 2019, the median household income grew by 15.4% among blacks and less among whites, 11.5%. Uh, that's because of these changes in taxes and attitudes towards money and jobs that Trump brought in. Um, so uh, the bottom line is that the less educated workers saw their wages rise at triple the rate uh, they did during Obama's second term. But Obama, according to the narrative, is getting the credit for the better economic outcomes. And that is an untruth. But Riley calls it a stretch. You have to be careful how you say these things because of the censorship. And even characters like Riley and Heather McDonald. Heather McDonald wasn't even allowed to talk on the colleges out in California because of the stats and the 
truth that she was going to tell about police brutality and all that, weren't, weren't, nobody wanted to hear it. So they banned her off the campus. Um, um, and so Riley says that the story of black economic advancement in the Trump years needs wider publication, wider. How are you going to do it? Hey, they're not going to talk about it. Where are you going to talk about it? How are you going to do it? Um, the liberals are saying that it's been wealth redistribution and the racial preferences that are the best way to facilitate upper mobility. Um, but that doesn't prove in the results. And even now, you know, uh, Matt, Mad Maxine says that to, to, to question, and by the way, it's been, I'm going to comment on this a little bit. Uh, Biden is the one who set the racial tone. Oh, next, next Supreme Court justice has to be, has to be uh, a black. Why? Why can't it just be the best person? Um, you know, why, why can't it be that? No, he's already, he's already tainted the, the conversation. And Mad Maxine says uh, that to, to criticize him for that is to, is to uh, criticize, is to, is to suggest that um, uh, she will be a result of affirmative action. Well, there you are. There you are. Uh, right now, we have this big challenge uh, going on with uh, uh, how to let people enter these colleges. For a long time, it's been uh, kind of the playing field has not been level because of affirmative action. Um, here, here, is the, here is the situation just studying uh, some of the admission policies on how racial preferences have affected the number of black science and economic majors at elite, at elite universities. Um, and uh, this advice is that the Supreme Court conversations ought to have the same kind of understanding that the race conscious admission policies produced at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Um, uh, at Duke, uh, incoming freshmen who reported a major, more than 76% of black males intended to major in economics or the hard sciences. And that's a higher percentage than among white uh, males. Uh, yet only 35% of the black male students went on to obtain a degree in one of those majors, which was a drop of 41 percentage points, okay? When you let the blacks in under this uh, admissions policy that was prevailing, uh, more than 76% said, well, they're gonna major in the hard science or economics. And yet when you checked on the degree they got, it was a drop of 41% of what they said they were gonna do and what they were prepared to do. So the difference between initial and finishing proportions among white males was only five percentage points. Uh, this was a remarkable uh, gap in attrition rates and it could only be accounted for by looking at the entry level test scores among students. Uh, Duke admitted some black students with lower SAT scores on average than those of white students. But other black students who were admitted have academic credentials that match those of Duke typical freshmen. And those black students with test scores similar to the white test scores were no more uh, likely than white students to switch out of the challenging majors that they said they wanted to pursue, such as economics, engineering, and the natural sciences. So those test scores correlated to the, in other words, you were unfair to those students if you waived or gave an exemption and let them in on lower test scores, you will give them a false sense of hope, okay? They don't say it this way, but that's what it boils down to. So the Duke findings demonstrated that racial preferences in college admissions are counterproductive, okay? Hey, 
If I get criticized for it by the censors, so be it. It's the study that came out of looking at Duke, Harvard, and North Carolina, uh, and even the University of California system. Uh, University of California system has finally ended its racial admissions policies uh, and is trying to enter uh, people according to scores and preparation into uh, better academic pursuits. You know, this is going to really mushroom when you take into consideration how many kids didn't go to school because of COVID for the first three or four years of their academic life. Um, so the proponents, the defenders of affirmative action are insisting that there be no black middle class without affirmative action. But if you go back and you look at Trump's policies and you go back and look at these uh, uh, admission policies where uh, uh, affirmative action didn't play into it, uh, you can see exactly the opposite is true. Start treating people like people, okay? That's what we should be doing. Uh, stop the racial stuff. Start treating people like they're people. To treat them according to race is to insult them. I mean, it really is. It's just like what I was saying a moment ago about girls basketball. If you tell the ladies that they can't run the full length of the court, you're insulting them. You're insulting them. They can run the full length of the court. They can run it hard as, as men do. And they show it. You go see the game that I saw yesterday. There'd be no question about it. And anybody can do well if he's prepared. And where does the preparation really start? It starts in the home. So go take a look at that, right? So uh, uh, we're, in, we're, we're in the position now. Now apply the, the next the next conversation we'll have is apply that to um, to a Supreme Court justice selection. Are you going to have a racial quota on who may apply or be considered for the Supreme Court? I mean, is that is that are you going to do that to the Supreme? Are you going to pick it because we got to have a woman or we got to have a black or we got to have a black woman? Why don't you just have a good legal mind? Huh? Why don't you just have a good legal mind? Well, the point of this study is that discrimination of on the basis of race cuts both ways. I mean, you know, you think you're giving an advantage, but you're really setting up a disadvantage. You're setting up somebody with, 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 uh, to give them an opportunity to fail. So um, um, the way to stop discrimination, and we've been saying this again and again and again, uh, discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. Come on. When is this country going to finally get over this and get out of this and let everybody be every be himself or herself or itself or whatever you want to say and be qualified and work to be qualified for the job? And um, even 62 percent of the blacks, according to this study, which has been done by Riley, is um, uh, said race should not be considered in college admissions. But who's keeping it alive? The activists and the politicians. You know, politicians are despicable people. I mean, they really are despicable people for the most part. I don't know why. How else you can cut it? Um, so, uh, uh, you know, that's that's where we are. I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk for a moment about something that's not getting. Well, here's race in the Supreme Court. I guess we need to just. I already covered it, but um, um, Biden himself has put the racial tinge on the criteria, criteria for judicial selection. Remember that, will you please? Biden put, Biden turned the selection into the next Supreme Court justice into a racial issue. 
Now, you know, YouTube knocked me off because I presented Biden's criticism of an election that hasn't happened yet. Um, certain things that are taboo that you can't comment on, but it's okay for Biden to comment on. If you take a look at it, he comments on stuff that nobody else can comment on without getting in some sort of trouble. Um, so um, he has announced the racial test and um, the, the conservatives never could have done that or they'd have been run out of town. So he is choosing a nominee uh, uh, strictly on the basis of race. And then he's intimidating critics by this is and this is this is an opinion page out, 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 out of the journal. Uh, I mean, get this. I mean, this is where we are. I mean, I mean, just let me just go back to this. Biden is choosing a nominee on the basis of race, and then he's intimidating critics who criticize him as racist. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go, brother. All right. Let's talk about one thing that's not being talked about. Let's talk about immigration and the borders and this whole drug network that extends through Cuba, Cuba and Venezuela. Are you with me? Okay. Mary Anastasia Grain Grady knows this really well. She is Cuban. And um, she publishes now and then, Mary Anastasia O'Grady. And uh, she says that um, uh, Russia, we know, has already been in Cuba, right? <clears throat> and Russia is in Cuba because Kennedy didn't have the nerve to enforce the Monroe Doctrine. If Kennedy had enforced the Monroe Doctrine, we wouldn't have this communist uh, base in the Caribbean. And Russia, we know, has been supplying weapons and manpower, but now China is involved too, because China and Russia are sort of together and sort of not. They don't really don't like it, but they're together on their on their attempt to quash the power of the United States. And so China also provides sophisticated military technology to uh, Venezuela, Cuba, and now Nicaragua. And the big storyline right now that Biden's making all the uh, hoopla about is Ukraine, but the quiet takeover of the hemisphere is going on uh, in Cuba, Nicaragua, and soon to be Colombia. And the thing that's stitching it all together is the political leaders' uh, dependence on being in cahoots with the drug trade. I don't know what's keeping Mexico from falling in it. If Mexico ever falls into that bunch, well, you can stick a knife, a fork in us because then that would be an entire anti-American uh, group of, of, of countries lined up in our back door uh, whose economic strength is coming from the drug trade, which they're supplying to us, okay? You see, this is, I, if I would, I should stop the show and I should start writing movie scripts because this would make one heck of a movie script, right? Can you see it? Can you see it now? I mean, America over here is fiddling while Rome burns. I mean, they're talking about issues and they're swinging windmills and they're uh, chasing ghosts and things and they're chasing the ghost of racism and they're chasing this and chasing that. And not a darn bit of it has anything to do with their enormous crime rate, their enormous drug trafficking, their enormous kind of uh, 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 way in which they are the recipient of the products uh, coming out of the Southern Hemisphere that feed the 
uh, insatiable instant gratification needs of the people in our country who are doing nothing that no wonder they want uh, socialism because the government will pay them to do nothing to spend money on drugs is basically the movie script I would write. I mean, I think I could probably write it in a couple of days. Um, you've got uh, uh, Russia obviously playing a key role in the survival, uh, Mary Anastasia O'Grady writes, of, of the highly unpopular Venezuelan and Cuban military dictatorships. <coughs> you don't think that those people in Venezuela, uh, which once had a thriving middle class, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't overthrow that son of a gun if they could. I mean, they got people eating out of um, garbage cans down there. And, and, and so, uh, so they have a strategy, a very sophisticated strategy, uh, O'Grady says, to undermine us from the, our own southern hemisphere uh, over here underneath our own doorstep. Um, there's uh, uh, over, over 20 years, Venezuela has bought more than $11.4 billion dollars and Russian military equipment and weapons, which include fighter jets, attack and transport helicopters, all this business that goes into it. Um, this has been a report by uh, a, a study group in, in uh, D.C. called Center for Secure Free Society. Um, the other thing that you have to watch my time here, uh, be aware of, is that um, Russia and China now have Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua safely in what's called the Russia-China column. And uh, Colombia is their next, uh, next goal. Um, um, these countries are highly vulnerable because of the corrupting influence of drug trafficking organizations and Cuba's infiltration of Colombia institutions, civil society, business, media, and academia. Um, the, uh, Obama back, Obama surrendered uh, uh, to the government, to the criminal group, FARC, FARC, uh, and uh, he dubbed it a peace agreement. And that has fully uh, uh, exacerbated the instability of these countries. I've always thought that Obama really might be more sympathetic to them than he was to us. Uh, so now O'Grady says that Russia and China are going to move in for the kill. Uh, they have organized crime groups engaged in a bloody conflict on the Colombia-Venezuela border. Um, Maduro is up to his neck in this. Um, uh, so, so we'll keep our eye on it. That's, I just want you to be aware of the fact that right now what you're reading about is Ukraine. Uh, but, you know, uh, you better keep your eye on Colombia, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba. Uh, I'm going to meet with my production guys and we'll try to resolve this issue uh, very soon here uh, about um, the way in which we're being treated by um, the censorship groups. And I appreciate your support. Uh, I want to give a shout out particularly to Plantation Mark, whose generosity is really helping us fight this battle. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.